Welcome to another edition of the Grizz Den Pod. We are coming at you remotely. Uh, we're we're staring at each other on the screen right now, um, and we're ready to talk. We're ready to talk some Grizz, talk some NBA. Uh, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, December sixteenth, the Grizzlies play in exactly one week, um, which is crazy to think about, but uh, it's true. Uh, hey, by the way, uh, Ty's here. Yeah. And Brantley's here too. Let's go. Hey, Ty, by the way, when you look perfectly at the right angle on the screen, I can like cheat and see what you're looking at. Oh, yeah, that's true. How about I move? Is that good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. I'm not really sure. <laughs> that's great. I can see my face. It looks like inappropriate stuff. Glasses. I don't know. It is, it is. All right, we got a big show for you today. Uh, we had some breaking news in the league. We had some breaking news uh, for the Grizzlies. And we've had two preseason games already under our belts. And uh, finally, we're going to get out of here on predictions for the season. Um, but let's start here at the top. Sometimes news in the NBA breaks, and it's big enough to where it, it should make its way to the top of our um, Grizzly-centric podcast. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo has signed with Milwaukee, the Supermax. It's the largest deal uh, in NBA history. Five years, $228 million. He has a player option on the fifth year. Um, Milwaukee had made moves to uh, uh, basically go all in on this. And so Giannis signing is a huge sigh of relief for them. Uh, it's exciting for the city of Milwaukee and um, for the selfishly, I'm very excited that that is not going to be a recurring topic on every NBA media outlet all season long. So uh, that's fun too. But let's talk about it, guys, in terms of, first of all, what do you think of the deal? And second of all, let's go into how it affects the Grizzlies if any, if at all. Uh, so, Brantley, we'll start with you. What do you think of the deal? So my head <clears throat> immediately sort of goes to, like, the, the future years that we've talked about, I think, consistently is, like, these are the years we're building towards um, for the Grizzlies. And, you know, as a fan, there's been lots of stuff even just coming back in the preseason where you're just seeing a lot of our players sort of reacting to enjoying being on the Grizzlies, enjoying being in Memphis, particularly Ja, who I think is starting to get a lot of sort of city fair um, that's, that's surrounding him. And, you know, I, I think that I want to immediately just think that like, Oh, this is a very promising trend for small markets. And uh, this sort of way the, the structures are set up to incentivize players to stick around to sign those deals. So my initial intuition is like, this is sort of positive. However, I do think that I, I don't want to like lean too far that direction because I think that players still have all the leverage right now, as we're seeing with like what's happening with Harden and his deal. And um, so I'm sort of like cautiously very excited for the trend. I guess I'll put it that way. I think it's sort of, um, is moving 
towards like this trend of small market um, kind of focus, maybe competition focus, like sticking with the team that invested in you type thing. And, um, you know, our young, our young star has sort of shown a little bit of that propensity. And so like, I would love to see that be something that maybe he latches onto and assuming that our franchise does things correctly and surrounds him appropriately, then, then that would sort of bode well for us. So um, that's kind of my initial take, but I'm not going to just lead in and just say like, this is the perfect trend for Memphis. Cause I think that we have to, our, the franchise has to own up and do things appropriately to set us up, you know, year five, you know, to be able to retain mm-hmm. it. Ty, what'd you think? Yeah, I kind of think similarly. Um, so I think the main reason that kept Giannis there was, I mean, they've been winning, right? If Milwaukee was the seven seed every year in the East, I don't know if he would have been, you know, as much inclined to stay. So I think for a small market, I think market size, regardless, I think winning cures a lot of things. Um, and I think if you put together kind of like what Brantley was saying, kind of piggybacking off that, like if you put together a organization top to bottom that prioritizes winning and that's their main focus and you can see that they're willing to do whatever it takes to win. I think players, I mean, I think the best players in the league today, like the true stars, I think that's their main objective. I really do. I think they just want to win whatever they can do to win. I think they're going to do. Um, I think Milwaukee kind of set that standard that, hey, we're willing to do kind of whatever we need to do. Look at the Drew Holiday trade. They gave out literally more than what any other team would have given because they were like, we have to do whatever it takes. So going back to Memphis and how it may play into us, which that's, I think, a long time from now. The Supermax for any of our guys, you know, are – they're still in their rookie deals. I mean, Jaws a second-year player. Jaron's a third-year player. So this is, we're a long time away from that. But if you look at what our front office has been doing, everyone keeps saying that like it's crazy encouraging and we're kind of laying the foundation for what? Sustained winning, right? So we're putting in place a structure for a superstar like Ja and Jaron to basically see that we are bought in and we're doing it the right way and we're trying to sustain it. And we're going to do everything we possibly can to win um, and for that to be sustainable. Um, So another point I thought of, kind of, again, what Brantley was kind of saying to an extent. So if you think about James Harden, right, he's been in Houston. Houston is a pretty good market. It's not like top five market in the league, but it's pretty big. He listed four teams that he would be willing to go to. Do you all remember those four teams? I'll just say them. Brooklyn, Philly. Brooklyn, Philly, um, Miami, and Milwaukee. Miami, Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah I don't believe Milwaukee. Milwaukee. That's crap. There's no. I'm just saying that was, that was out there. Why? Not because they're a huge market, because like they are really good and they're winning and they have a great organization. It's a great PR move. I think his agent, by the way. Maybe so. Maybe so. But if you look, I think at a few, I think organizational success and leadership can go a long way outside of just being a big market versus small market. And I think that proved right with Giannis. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it has zero effect. I think that there's, I mean, people are singing the praises of 
um, the small market winning. And I think that's like, is valid. Um, I, I do think that Giannis is not as comparable to other situations um, as a, I don't know how to basically say like, for instance, Giannis has always, he has never prioritized what any other NBA star has prioritized. He's all about family. He is um, coming over to the NBA from where he was in Greece. Has It's been documented how it was just like such a different culture. Basically, he was uh, close to homeless. And so I, I think I'm hesitant to wave the flag of the sm- small market as a result of this deal. If anything, I think it's more of a, of a big deal that Damian Lillard signed because mm-hmm. Lillard was here in America. He was, um, grew up, you know, and, and, and probably has a similar uh, disposition and, and context as a lot of other players that are growing up like jaw, for example, small market or sorry, small college team and now plays for a small quote-unquote market. So I look at that more than Giannis, honestly. And so uh, while it is a great thing, uh, Ty, I agree with what you said. Like, There's a reason why he signed. He wants to win, and he wants to provide for his family. Milwaukee um, had the space and obviously was going to give him anything that he wanted financially, and they have been winning. So I agree with your takes there, and I also think that um, Ja is not Giannis. Like he's going to want to me, he's going to get to a big enough level of stardom where he's going to probably think a lot like um, superstars just objectively. And so we, uh, it's never too soon to start thinking about that uh, as a franchise and, and trying to uh, put every, every possible piece around him to lead to success. But yeah, definitely not a bad thing for small markets, but I think we're, smart to be cautiously optimistic here. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to add is I was reading, um, John Hollinger's like outlook on the Grizz season and kind of what he's projecting and stuff like that. I don't remember the over under and stuff like that. But one thing I do remember is he was talking about how it was really tough to get a free agent to come to Memphis. Um, but once we got someone here that they stay, uh, and Mike, we ended up, but every kind of big time star, I guess outside of Powell, but that was early Memphis. So modern Memphis basketball, every stud we've had, we've kept and we've resigned and they've stayed here. Um, so that's also encouraging too that someone from our previous front office, someone that knows the city of Memphis and how NBA players view Memphis, mentioned that it's hard to get people here, but once they're here, they want to stay. It's easy to let, it's easy to keep them here. So, can I ask all this? So I think one of the thing, I think the, the competition point that y'all brought up, I think is one that for this year and for the years leading up to like the Supermax scenario, which is when I think that sort of becomes p- the potential window of sorts for the Grizzlies to be in the kind of the the echelon of Western conference top tier, you know, depending on what happens, but like, I think that's sort of, we sort of know that we've got to have a team positioned to compete that way when we move to the supermax, or at least I would think that that's sort of the long-term trajectory. 
I think one of the interesting things is, you know, how I think Ja has that competitive component to him. You can see it the way we're going to probably talk about this in a bit on like preseason, but like the dude competes pretty much every night. I mean, I don't really remember a whole lot of games in his rookie season that he wasn't just competing at a high level. And I think there were times where we could see him sort of hitting maybe a, a fatigue wall, but for the most part, he was, he brought it every night. And at least from an eye test perspective. So I guess I want to ask you guys, do you think that like how much does that sort of influence a little bit of how we'll be even like in a season like this, where we know that the draft upside for us has a lot of potential in it. There's a lot of incentive for the organization to, to not, regardless of the statistics that happens to not win. You know what I mean? Then I mean statistics from like a lottery pick perspective. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, I also think that Ja playing his hardest and what Ja does best, we were even commenting on it in terms of comparing uh, Ja to D'Angelo Russell, where Russell has this uh, scoring ability that really is elite, but yet Ja's biggest strengths are his ability to lead a team and facilitate and distribute. And so it's almost as if job playing at his hardest is honestly like it's beautiful basketball. And at the same time, you have to have the pieces around him to put the ball in the basket in order to actually outscore opponents. So in a sense, I am, I think having the best jaw out there will yield a result um, that is equivalent to to a certain extent the level of guys around him and I don't know if we have the tools to where that to me will affect our draft as much also to think that we were in the ninth best or ninth lowest odds when we actually got the number two pick for jaw and I could see us having a very similar um outlook this year of I would not be surprised if we were in a very similar seed where we're in the bottom third of the league but we're at the you know top of the bottom third if you will and so I think that having jaw at his best is is something that uh I want to see and I think we can have our cake and eat it too in that sense where we're not out of the draft but we can also see jaw at his best and Mm. that's my opinion yeah I agree I think I think we're going to do everything we can to win for sure this year. Not, I think like, whoa, whoa. So what's that mean? I think, I mean, yeah, we're not going to trade a bunch of future first for, um, you know, 30 year old guy. Who's not happy. Somewhere. You just mean we're not going to intentionally tank. Definitely not. Like, I don't think we're, I don't think jaw is going to be on like a 28 minute restriction. You know what I mean? Um, I yeah. think we'll be cautious with Jaron. Uh, apparently he's been playing five on five for months. Um, but we're still holding him out, which I guess is fine. Um, and I think right now we're kind of in this, like we have, what? so one thing we mentioned when basically free agency and draft stuff happening, we're kind of accumulating assets and just seeing what works, right? We're really, we're really throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks in, in terms of like players and assets. We signed several guys to long-term cheap deals. I think one of the reasons we did that is because we have time to figure that out, but I also think it's important to figure that out. 
Like we need to know who can play and who can't. And I think we're holding on to some of these guys in our organization. Like John Contrar is a great example. We signed him to like a four-year deal. Dante Porter was similar. Um, Xavier with a lot of non-guaranteed stuff on the end. That's true, but we still, I mean, we can have them for multiple years if we choose. Right. Um, especially in today's NBA, we talk about this all the time with trade assets too. Like those are hard contracts to come by. Um, and I think we're trying to kind of figure out what we have and what we don't have, not in terms of like our top guys, but in terms of what we need to fit around primarily John Jaron. Um, and yeah, I agree. maybe you're, and, and let me ask you this. Are you saying the type of players or the players? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of both, you could argue. Like, I think DeAnthony Melton's contract was great. Um, I honestly thought he was going to get more. Um, I thought a team was going to throw out $12, 13000000 million a year. I think we got him, like, a little less than uh, average. And then I think his last year is almost, like, in the sevens, seven million something. Um, I think finding pieces to fit around John Jaron, I think, is our main priority moving forward. And back to Will's point, I think if we play well and let's say we get the eight seed, let's say we get the play in and we make the playoffs, I, I don't think that completely pills what we're continually trying to do and to get players that fit around. I don't think we're going to try to bottom out because this draft is really deep and apparently it's really heavy on wings. And if you were to tell me like what is one player we would need in the future, it's a wing. Um, but yeah, I don't think we're going to sacrifice any type of winning environment for a draft pick. Yeah. And I think we're going to get to this actually. Um, let's take a quick pause on talking about our, our, um, our reactions and our, our thoughts for the rest of the season and, and quickly hit the, the news that came out of, uh, the Grizzlies organization today, which was, uh, my King Marco Guterich has officially been waived. Uh, are you Okay. Well, um, do we need to take a moment to allow you to really like vent your emotions here? Uh, yeah i I would say that I've been processing it all day. <laughs> I think that um, having having a guy like Desmond Bain, who is couldn't be more different than Marco Guterich, and yet is probably better at the one skill that Gude was supposed to bring, uh, that definitely helps uh, um, ease the blow a little bit it does take hey, isn't as good that's for sure that's true Guterich, who uh, has better shoulders bane or Guterich? <laughs> bane is a freaking monster uh but no I, I i do think that it's funny because it was it was Guterich was supposed to be just this shooter that was it was going to be a, a Davis Bertans type, maybe uh, obviously a lot shorter and a lot less skilled, but you're just, it's just funny how they, they missed completely on him. And, and yet uh, we, we ended up all right. I mean, it's fine. I, I I'm just, ta- I'm just talking out loud. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to miss his potential. I'll say there that. It is. Uh, and then we also waved Jaleel Tripp. Uh, who has played in the preseason games, but he was signed uh, draft night and wasn't expected to do, do much. Yeah, exactly. And and we signed uh, Benny Boatwright, who was on the hustle, and Zaire Smith. And you might 
know Zaire Smith from um, he was a, a pick right outside the lottery just a couple short years ago. Um, and I'll, I'll give you really quickly his his path to to Memphis. He was drafted in 2018, uh, technically by the Suns, but they traded him on draft night to the Sixers uh, with a um, – he was traded with a first round pick for Mikhail Bridges. So that actually worked out really well for the Suns. Um, and then he was traded by the 76ers uh, less than a month ago to the Detroit Pistons for Tony Bradley. And then he was waived a week later by the Pistons. And so he's been, he cleared waivers and has now been unsigned and the Grizzlies are taking a flyer on him. And uh, yeah, I think, I think this is just a very low risk, uh, high upside deal. I think that's pretty cool that we're. Um, it's never, you know, after two years taking a flyer on a, a guy who is right, right there in in the lottery, uh, could be interesting. He's an athletic, athletic wing, and uh, can contribute on defense as well. Uh, what did you guys think of the the signing when the news broke? Actually, can I can I ask? Can I pose a different question? Can I have bad pod yeah. here and pose a different question? Go for it. Because, I mean, I know Ty. He's going to say he researched and looked at all the YouTubes here. <laughs> and he's got some amazing highlights for Zaire. And he's going to play these roles incredible. And it's going to probably bore our listeners and they're going to stop listening right now. Hey. I guess <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Bad joke. Bad joke. So either of you answer this question when you're, when you, what do you think that like common when they're making these types of invitation, when they're making these types of deals, do you like with John Tay is another like, example of this to me where you're like, as a low risk, like small salary filler last roster spot scenario. And do you think that they think they found like this gem that they could develop into a role player that like maybe we move off of some other type of position player on the top and collect a different asset for those other roster players? Or do you think that they are just building for, I don't know, just competition on um, in practice? Or do you think that they're getting these guys thinking they'll, that they – like if Josh Jackson was on like a longer term deal, we might could have flipped him and gotten something for him and instead of the kind of weird contract scenario that we got into with him. So those are three options. I'm curious, what what of those three would you be doing or do you think that the front office is doing with these types of guys? Uh, I just think they're working the margins. I think they're doing what a small market has to do. And that is looking into the minute of details trying to find honestly back to your question assets um however you want to view that term because they're just trying to create an asset out of a out of a bottom roster spot yeah okay potentially um yeah. but that asset could play that asset could be a rotational player that asset could be a trade chip it could be a lot of different things but i think in a small market you have to work the margins and find assets where other teams aren't willing to look and they're not willing to do things like that. And we have to do that. And I think that's what they're doing. I think they're doing their due diligence and I think they're being very detail oriented 
And yeah, I think bottom line, I think they're trying to find assets. Whether that's a rotation player, like I said, or a trade chip, I don't know. But yeah, they're working the margins for sure. They're doing everything they possibly can. Yeah, I think that um, plays into your third option, which I think is a real thing, is just the trade value. I think they're always looking to build trade value in guides. Um, and that starts with caring about the 15th guy, because if somebody, um, if you find something in Zyre Smith and then you're able to sign him to a, to a reasonable, you know, cheap deal, then all of a sudden that becomes a legitimate asset to throw into something that could involve Gorgie Jang or something like that. Um, and so I think have, a GM, we would trade Zyre Smith to whatever team he was the GM of and we would get two seconds back in a heartbeat former lottery chris wallace would be like give me that i'll give you whatever it takes (laughs) yeah well i think the reason i asked is like so i got the question from a loyal listener um can we we say their name no no i'm gonna protect i'm gonna protect my sources (laughs) (laughs) about just like the jante deal and just like what do you think about that you know type thing and you know, my head was kind of like, there's just multiple scenarios. It's like, A, it's kind of exciting because like, I think we've made like silly jokes about like what he could or couldn't be. But regardless, like at one point in time, he was considered like a lot of potential. He was like, yeah. So like, and you've seen people take shots at these guys and I'm, I'm only like, it's possible as a fan to enjoy the games and enjoy some of these players getting in, knowing that they may not be ours, but it could help future people that could be on our team for a long time, potentially. And I think that it's a like, I just think it's cool to like talk about it that way and provide comfortability in like the moves that people are moving into your point, the margins tie and like, say like, this isn't someone we may have for a long time, but we may get to enjoy this person develop in a way that helps us build long-term and sort of think of the foundation setting that's occurring sort of in front of us. Yeah. And And another thing that I just thought about, Oh, go ahead, Ty. No, you got it, Will. Go ahead. I was going to say another thing that I was thinking about while you were talking, Brantley, was that, you know, uh, in a, a previous regime, one signing that I I was thinking about was the Ben McLemore signing. And it's mm-hmm. that's something that an old Grizzlies team would do where, you know, you would have the quote-unquote second draft where a guy's, you know, off of his rookie deal, he doesn't get signed and then you can get him for whatever. Um, but those the difference in that methodology and this methodology is that you had seen those guys play in, in the NBA uh, back then, and you could tell that they were not the player that, that they were expected to be initially. And yet, this regime instead tries to get in on the ground floor with guys like uh, Brandon Clark, for example, started to slip because of something like his age um, Grizzlies were saying like, well, why, why are we letting something be, like that be a factor right now when he's never played in, in the NBA? We don't know what he is, but we think he could be great. Let's just try. Then a guy like Zaire Smith, who's literally played 13 NBA games. Yeah. He's had injury, but he hasn't necessarily had a fair shot mm. in the NBA yet. Like let's grab him. And I feel like there are multiple examples of those types of guys that were and Jonte Porter is the other example yeah. where it's like he's slipping for a reason that NBA teams have convinced themselves of before they've seen him play. And I think 
having being in on the ground floor to watch them if they're nothing they cost us nothing and we will cut bait and we'll find the next guy but if there's something we were there and so that's why i think there's a different methodology now with the margins and i love it yeah that was going to be my big point is what did we give up to get jonte porter nothing what did we give up to get zyre smith nothing previous or dreams would have traded right they would have given up something to get these assets that they weren't sure about we are yeah. giving up nothing uh, we did it again in this draft with killian tilly right before his injuries everyone said he's a first round draft pick he just has hurt a lot um i think yeah i think we are yeah exactly what will said Give, giving these guys a shot within our system to see what they can do if they can't do what we want them to do we're not at a loss at all um I saw where Zyra Smith probably won't even play in the preseason at all for the grid. He's going like straight to the hustle. Um, we're basically the Josh Jackson treatment. We're going to take our time, be smart with him, and maybe he does get a call up, maybe not. But we're not going to – and it's different when you give up assets for a player. Like when we gave up assets for Ben McAmore, that was very much like, hey, this guy's got to be in the rotation. I don't really care if he's producing or not. Like yeah. he needs to play because we gave up players for him like he's got to he's got to do something and I was in a very critical time where we needed somebody to do something um I think it's a little bit different now all right we've successfully burned half an hour uh talking about all sorts of stuff but let's get to what has happened in the last few days which is we've played two basketball games uh and while the preseason is the preseason and that caveat should always be in front of whatever we talk about in the preseason. I think there are certain real things that we could take away uh, from what we've seen. And so what I want to do right now is I want to open the floor and we can kind of go in a rotating fashion. Just uh, throw something out that you've seen, um, just takeaways that you've had so far, whether it's something you liked or didn't like. And we'll, we'll kind of go around in a circle and, and hit these. Ty, why don't you go ahead and get started? Okay, so I... On our little Google Doc that we made, um, Will listed takeaways so far, and I kind of listed a few. So this isn't the first one on the list, but I really, really want to talk about this because I think it's a super interesting idea, and it may not make sense, but I still want to throw it y'all's way. And the idea is, has our team slash offense slash scheme, whatever you want to call it, have we outgrown the benefit of Dylan? So what I mean by that, Dylan kind of made his name his rookie year when we signed Lance Stevenson and we were injured through the roof. Greatest Grizzlies team of all time. It was awful. Yeah. And we still made the playoffs. Take that for data. We needed him to just put up shots. Like we just had, we needed somebody to just shoot the ball, whether it was going in, whether it's a good shot, whether it's efficient, that didn't really matter. We just needed someone to shoot. Dylan still plays that way, right? And that's kind of been our big argument in the past year or so watching the team is like Dylan really hasn't changed. He is who he is, whatever it may be. So my question slash takeaway watching our team play is has our offense and just scheme and like players, personnel, coach, have we outgrown Dylan? Can I just say that we're probably the only Grizzlies podcast 
that has found a way to start our preseason talks talking about Dylan Brooks, and I love it. It's the May, biggest. Okay. It's, the, it's yeah. like to me, it's like the biggest story. One of the biggest storylines for the Grizzlies. It's like we know we so. want him out of there. Like he, we, nobody wants to watch him. Right. I think. Yeah. I think you can make that argument for sure. Okay. I I think that what we saw last night was actually good, Dylan. And it was, it was the, he played well. And to Mm -hmm. me, he played within himself. And I think that, um, that version of Dylan Brooks is something that could be of an, an asset on the team. And I think that it's, it's a, um, while it's maybe not our favorite option, I do think that it is something, unfortunately. And I, I've been the biggest, one of the biggest Dylan haters around. I also think that if he is playing within himself like he did last night, then he can help this team. And I don't know if we've outgrown him yet, um, to be honest, which kind of sucks, but hopefully we will soon. Uh, But that's my opinion on that. I I feel like he's going to be – I think there's now enough uh, weapons on the wing to where he can't just run wild because he knows that there's somebody behind him that can legitimately play. Like I, I feel like having Bane on the roster, um, and having the investment in Melton, like we did, and Kyle Anderson, Dude. which was another takeaway, actually shooting the ball well, which we'll see how sustainable that is. It could be he could regress back to what we, uh, what what we've seen his mean to be. But like, I just think that having depth is a natural, uh, enemy of Dylan's worst inclinations. <laughs> And so I think having that uh, around him, knowing that he can't act a fool and crossing our fingers that Jenkins coaches and has a, a tighter rope uh, than he did in the bubble, I, I feel like Dylan still has a place on this team, unfortunately. What did you, what did you like about his game yesterday? Uh, I liked that he was taking shots that were under control. He I did not feel like he had I mean he had a couple of he had a couple of possessions where he was uh taking one too many dribbles, but overall I felt like he was playing in the flow of the offense, which is not something that we could have said last year. I can yeah, I can see that too. And when I said outgrown Dylan, I think I probably meant out outgrew like Dylan's previous style of play maybe um yeah it's it's just tough man because like when you take the ball out of jaw's hands it's that's our best offense is with him running the show and i think we'll get to this later too another takeaway is how just in command jaw is he that's what i think we should start we should we should talk about that maybe for a few so. minutes because yeah, it's maybe. unbelievable the leap like it seems as though he's taken I, I've never seen um I don't know. I, I shouldn't use the word never. I just feel like there are there are times when you need to manage expectations when it comes to the NBA because you have to remind yourselves that, you know, a job for instance is like twenty years old basically. So it's like he's still he's in, only in his second year, uh, in a in a consolidated season and he and yet the game looks like it's slowed down to one mile an hour for him. Like, I feel like he could was doing whatever he wants. And I think we should also say the wolves suck. 
we were able to do whatever we wanted without three of our uh, top six rotation guys. And yet, Ja at the same time was going against an all-star legitimately in D'Angelo Russell, maybe not defensively, but he was he was going toe-to-toe with him and also just like made the game look easy, yeah. honestly, which was awesome. Yeah, so the his... Uh, there's a couple of things on Ja that I feel like I've noticed. His his confidence on like pulling up from a three is different. Like he did not pull up that often from three at all last year, and you've seen him do it a couple times already. The shot looks like it has shifted a little bit to be less two handed and a little bit kind of more traditional three point shooting. I don't know if that's just some tweaking or just. I'm looking at the wrong thing, but it looks it looks just slightly different um, to me. Um, and I'll just say this, like same loyal listener on Jonte Porter. And I think, Will, I've mentioned this to you off the record, and I can't remember if it was on a podcast or not, And because you love, love this former point guard who's now a head coach for the Brooklyn Nets. But I think the comp for Ja is more like Derrick Rose slash – um, Steve Nash than it is anything else. Like the way that he gets in the paint and creates assists um, and and has this sort of dynamic way of um, using his hands to ball fake and th- do things that are, are really sort of different, in my opinion. I, I feel like Kyrie sort of did that his first couple of years in the league, but he hasn't done that as much maybe. Um, I just think it's really unique. You don't really see a whole lot of other players playing that way right now. Um, Luca sort of has the ability to drive in and use his opposite hand to kick to the corner from a three-point perspective, um, and uh, not similar. Luca's like one of the best in the NBA right now at that. So um, even statistically, uh, so I just I, there have been some like modifications to me that have increased, but it's just been I just just forget how incredible it is to watch him do just some really simplistic things that sets up everybody else and sort of dare I say kind of average NBA players look incredible. Yeah. And I think one of the most unstoppable moves that he has developed already and polished is when he has a a high screen and roll, he goes around and the defenders on his back and he backs into the defender and sort of dribbles up a couple steps into the paint at that point, the defender's on his back. He's forcing the big in front of him to make a decision. And he has a guy in the corner. He has JV on the block. And he has a floater that he's really developed. And so all of a sudden, you put Ja in that situation. And he has elite, elite decision-making already. And that is a recipe for a really productive offense. And even if he's not this sharpshooter from three he is quick enough and athletic enough where he doesn't necessarily have to have that be a primary part of his game. And yet he's still working on that as well. And it seems as though he's tweaked some things, like you said, Brantley. So I just think every possession, or I would say like 50% of possessions, he's going to go to that patented just screen and back into the defender when he gets him on behind him. And I think that's really fun because you can see Ja. Uh, knowing what he's best at and and trying to get to those spots. And he's able to do it. I mean, there's only been a couple of guards who've really been able to stop him. And one of those guards is now in the East, Drew Holiday. So that's good. Yeah, I was going to I was gonna actually ask you, in these, in these T-Wolves games, remind me, it felt like Culver 
was the main person who was matched up against him a good bit. Um, and he's a bigger, he's a bigger yeah, guy they were by the end. And, but yeah. he wasn't, he wasn't playing as physical as Drew was. I think that was, I was going to bring up the Drew Holiday thing. I think that's the like, I'll be really curious to see like the first team that we play against has a really physical guard. Like it's not going to be Drew or Ben Simmons level because those were the only Simmons, Fox, and Drew Holiday were the only people that I really felt like did a really good job of stopping John. Everybody else, I was like, he's got him. He can he can do whatever he wants against those against whoever was guarding him. Yeah, I agree with that. Ty, what do you think? No, I agree. Um, he just looked. It looked so easy. Um, I it just it looked so easy, and he has this ability to play like so fast, but he's under such like great control. Um, and one thing you mentioned, like, I think JV, we underrate a ton. We don't talk about him near enough as a great fan. I think he's really good. I think he's a really good player. But the passes that Ja makes in such tight windows, like you can't even see Ja's oh. body sometimes. And you just see the ball like squirt between. The- I know exactly <laughs> what play you're talking about too. JV's just like, oh yeah, here it is. I'm just going to dunk it and jog down the floor. Like it just, and he did a wraparound he almost put some English on a pass, which I don't know if that's possible. But he was with his off hand, his left hand. He like wrapped it around the baseline to DeAnthony in the corner, who hit a hey hit a corner three. Good job, DeAnthony, paying it off. But he just makes crazy difficult plays look very easy. And one thing I did want to mention too. Is, a, is another takeaway that can kind of add on to this. So, Brantley, you mentioned the guys who defend Jawell are your big perimeter defender types, right? Besides Fox, um, yeah. Yeah, De'Aaron Fox, yeah. He's, he's just crazy yeah, athletic true. and maybe athletic, just, athletic as well. Yeah, great defender. But what does it look like when we have, like, multiple playmakers and multiple ball handlers? So we'll mention this, I believe, maybe in our Slack that we have about the versatility of our lineups. And you can see Jenkins like really putting his like print on this team. And I just keep thinking like, what was Justice's like best position in Miami? It was when he was playing point guard, which is crazy to think about. A 6'6 ball handler playmaker. I think the beauty of our offense is when we have several guys, multiple guys who can just create. Go make a play, create. And I think the Jaws, I think Jaws is one of the best creators, playmakers in the league. But I think it's going to be really helpful to our team because I think Jaw can be really good off ball too. He hasn't really been able to do that because, again, we haven't really had a ton of options for him to do that, to be honest. When he's in the game, he has to dominate the ball for us to be good. And it's interesting that Jenkins had him playing with three other guards uh, these last few games. So he played a lot with Tyus, which I thought was interesting. Um, and I think once we get Justice back, I think he's going to play a lot of that secondary ball handler playmaker role um, and get John moving a little bit off ball. And I think that's going to be really fun to watch too. But, I, yeah, I think he just looks crazy comfortable. He looks like he's a six-, seven-year vet, and he's a 21-year-old second-year player. Can I talk about fit of yeah. a different player Yeah, go. to move us to another thing? Go ahead. I think Bain yeah. fits. And I think yeah, I think does. that – uh, my my hypothesis is that we're going to try to milk Dylan and make him look good, and then get rid of him. So I think Bain is what we wish Dylan was. 
a smart, great That's defender a, hey. who can hit the open three, who's not going to do too much, knows how to play within himself. And that's really more what we need right now than anything else. And it's probably maybe a little bit better chemistry guy. I think uh, the same, except I would substitute right now, as it stands, Kyle for Dylan in Hmm. that scenario. Like, I think Kyle is a guy that even if on his best day, which he, I would say, had one of those the other night, uh, doesn't necessarily have any sort of fit. But at the same time, he is a guy who really can play with anybody. And I know those things sound oxymoronic, but it's really not. Like he can he can fit on a basketball team in any situation, but for what this particular team is trying to do and the speed at which it's trying to play, he is not like our optimal uh, player in the lineup. And I think having his... Uh, it would be really easy not to play Kyle, but I think continuing to play him and building his trade value um, is also, you could say, on an equal plane with Dylan and, and having that trade value. To me, though, Dylan, is he has value no matter what because I think a team, any team can talk themselves yeah. into Dylan, but I think Kyle, you have to see it. He's going to get the Jay Crowder award this year. It, like the way that he's playing right now, he's kind of like the vet that I'm going to fall in love with. I hated Kyle last year. I couldn't stay. He was about to yeah. be like Courtney Lee to me, but the way on a completely different <laughs> level, but this year he's improved a lot. He's really got this really, he's got this great chemistry with Ja. You sort of started to see that in the bubble a good bit, which I was like, Oh, okay. This is sort of something I agree with you, Will, that it's worth us building up his value. And I do think he's going to be that, that, that come trade deadline, some team like a Miami, whoever that equivalent is this year could say, we could use this weird six, nine dude who kind of can hit a corner three and he can defend and and play weird matchups. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, I think that's a great take that, that could happen. I just want Dylan gone. So, I don't want to trade Kyle, man. If he can hit the corner three, that just it changes everything. I think though the thing with him is if hit, let's just say he was on an expiring this year. Like I don't know if if when he expires, if we would miss having him on the team necessarily at the end of it, yeah. or if we would just let him walk. Like I don't think he's a guy that I'm already thinking about. Like. Ooh, we just have to retain him. I just hope it's for a good number. Like to me, I'm not even thinking about. He's not. He's not. He's a carryover for me That's from fair. the older. Genes. But I think. I think after this year, we'll really know. Apparently, his shoulder has been an issue ever since like, yeah. after the long hiatus, and we went to the bubble. He finally felt comfortable with his shoulder. I think he shot something like over forty percent from three in the bubble. Um, he was. Before yeah. against in the first preseason, I'm not sure what he shot last night, but we've like Jaw creates such open looks that if he can just hit down that wide open corner three, but not even that. Like there were multiple times last night where he pump faked and the defender went for it, and when you get Kyle in like space, like able to make a play, that's when he's at his best. Like he's a great playmaker too. It's just no one's been able to respect his shot enough for him to get on the yeah. dribble. But once he gets on the dribble and get moving, like he's a great playmaker. But if you can, if he can develop even like a thirty-eight upper thirty percent shot, like that's going to be a huge help for him. 
Um, and yeah, I, I think it could be really interesting, even when Justice comes back. If I don't know, I mean, what the starting unit looks like. And he's like. an easy salary, by the way, to kind of deal with. I mean, he was signed to the mid level. He's on nine five this year and next year nine nine with no options, from what I can sort of see at this quick look. So um, that's really similar to what um, Jay was at. We signed, we had Jay at seven eight um last year whenever we got rid of him so it's just sort of an interesting solomon hill was more by the way he was at 13 so that's just kind of the comparison for that comp of a salary my last take on this on on a different thing completely and y'all may have a couple others or will may tell us we're out of time but melton is so not a point guard it's not even funny like was about to say that, Brantley. Give you give you cred for that on the Slack last night because that is so true. Having Tyus back, all just of a sudden change he just looks like a real a NBA player again. And in the bubble, he didn't. And it's because he's not a point guard. He's a six-two wing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the bigger to me. It's like uh, JV <laughs> and Tyus are two guys that are not going to ever be. They're never going to get mm. the shine. But those two guys are two of the top four to me, like most essential guys to have in your lineup on this team. We can survive without. We're, we're we just showed you we can play. We can survive in an, in a real NBA game without Justice Winslow and even Jimmy Jackson sometimes, which is crazy. And but yet we have to have no no. no but like we have to have our we have to have JV for his production. We have to have Ja obviously. And we have to have Tyus. Like those are to me like Jaws obvious, but JV and Tyus are the two that yeah. get overlooked. And I feel like that's been apparent. They're very yeah, they're very important. Tyus just does so much. And so yeah. one of the things I have on predictions, I don't know if we'll ever get to that. We will in a, just a minute. I, I think we'll have one of the top five benches in the league again. Um, I think our bench is going to be awesome. And from yeah, I. I'll leave it at that. We may talk about it again later, but I think Tyus leads that group. Yeah, I would say um, the the way I would put it to kind of put a cap on this is like JV and Tyus are your ultimate floor raisers, and Jaron is your ceiling raiser. Is how Jaron's at his best. We are a completely different team. Like we right. are really, really good when Jaron is being Jaron. I think absolutely. He, He's a, he's a freak. I mean, he's a freak. He's so good. I would love later to go deep into JV. I do think that he there are some things yeah. at some point that we should just table this and really go into it because I I don't I don't personally give him the credit. He frustrates me at times when he doesn't catch quick passes. But for like a massive like Jaeger dude, like you know Pete Prancia always says, like to be able to catch Jaws like yeah. just random passes. They seem like they've even like they've developed a little bit of a better chemistry. Like it just seems like a little bit more of an easier flow, and he sort of knows what's coming to him. Um, for a big dude to react that way, it's pretty impressive. Absolutely. All right, we got about nine minutes left. Uh, we're gonna go give our predictions on the record for this season. Um, let's start with just our 72, 72 game season. Uh, what do you guys think this team's record will be at the end of the 72 game season? Um, and then part B to that question is, will it be enough to potentially have a shot at the playoffs? 
So basically, what's the record? And how do you think it'll stack up in the Western Conference? I'll say this. So I'm sort of cheating. I, um, I'm looking at some over-unders here. Um, and right, you know, for this, this Vegas insider has the Grizzlies at 30 and a half on, a, on an over-under, um, which puts us basically at, you know, 30 and 42, um, right? If my quick math on 72 does right. So I sort of just think we're going to replace Houston. I think we'll probably be around 35 games, um, right? This this sheet has Houston at 34 and a half. I think Harden's going to go, and that puts us kind of in that 10th spot in the West, um, meaning so we'll probably replace Houston for this year's odds as far as like yeah, yeah. where they are. Not not like historically, because Houston obviously has been right. like top four or five. Good clarification. And this sheet, on this kind of view, Houston is in the 10th spot in the West at 34 and a half games. I just think that, that that'll flip, which basically means we're ahead of Houston in the West. We're ahead of Houston, San Antonio, Sacramento, Minnesota, Oklahoma. Um, and I think that the only variable there is really San Antonio. I think, I think if San Antonio were to stay healthy and keep the current squad together, then there's a chance that they could, they could supplant us um, in the 10th seed. But I think we're really competing for that 10th spot. And there's a chance that maybe we compete against New Orleans, um, but I think we'll be right around 35 and thir- you know from a wins perspective. What do you think, Ty? Yeah, that's what I had. I had 34 and 38. I think we're going to be right around 500 pretty much the whole season. I'll say this though: um, if we're competing with like Minnesota for a playoff spot, I feel really good about that. Um, if that's the te- type of team that people are going to compare us to, I mean, they looked horrible. We were up 20 on them in the first half easily without potentially two starters, three definite rotation players. Um, I think it's just, I think it's going to be tough because I think a lot of teams in the West are going for it. And I think Phoenix is going to be better. Portland's going to be good. San Antonio, like Brantley was saying, would potentially be, be good. New Orleans should be good. Every team should pretty much be good. I mean, I think except for Minnesota and OKC. I think OKC is going to trade what talent they have left. I could see Horford leaving. I could see George Hill leaving. I don't really see them doing much. But outside of that, I think it's going to be tough. But one other thing I wrote down is I think we could be good, like good, good. I think if justice comes back and is like true justice and what like we envision him being. and if Better than New Orleans? Maybe, yeah. Better than Golden State? No, I don't think better than Golden State. Oh, better than saying, Phoenix? I think. I mean, I think we can compete with those teams, though. I'm not saying we're going to be definitely better than them, but I think we can. Like, we can hang. I think Josh record wise. I think Josh's really good. I think we can hang with them right now. Yeah. I'm not saying like hang in a game. We're not going to get blown out. No, I'm saying I have better records with them. I think we could. I think we could be in the mix. I really do. I think it wouldn't like shock me if we were like the eight seed at the All Star break. Like it wouldn't just blow me away. I think I'd be sure ahead of who? Like a sick ahead of who? Who's falling? What do you mean? Who's who are we supplant? Who's going to fall? Well, New Orleans of those teams haven't anything yet, right? Like on okay. paper, they're good, but they haven't done anything. So I'm not going to go ahead and say I'm with top you. six seed or whatever. Um, you could argue Phoenix really hasn't done that much either, but I think they're going to be good because I think Chris Paul is awesome. Um, I think Houston could easily fall out of the playoff mix. Uh, totally agree. When I look at Portland, like, did they get that much better? 
and we took them to two overtimes and almost beat them in that first play-in without Tyus, Jaron, and Justice, I mean, something to think about. I really don't think we're going to be terrible. I think we're going to be like crazy and competitive. And again, it wouldn't shock me if we were like in the eighth seed at the all-star break. And another point yeah. of that, I think if we are in the playoff picture, I think if we are top eight in the West at the all-star break, I think Ja has a legit chance to make the all-star game, even though there's not a game. But if they announce all-stars and select all-stars, I think he's going to have a chance to be in it. Because if you, if we're a playoff team, I think the best player, especially Ja, he's going to attract a lot of viewers and have big moments. If we're a playoff team, I think we deserve an all-star spot, and I think Ja's that guy. Maybe not. I mean, I think that's – it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me, A, if we're in the playoff race, like the not just play in, like top eight seed race, and it wouldn't shock me if Ja gets some serious all-star consideration. Will, what do you think? So I think if we are in the East, I would confidently say that we are an above 500 team, not by a lot. If Since we're in the West, I think that we are legitimately a 500 team. However, I think the Justice and Jaron injuries are going to hurt us coming out the gate. And so I would dock a few games for that. And my final predictions is about 33 wins. Mm. Um, I would think, I think this is a 36 to 38 win team in a 72 a game season. Team. A healthy yeah. team, but I think that will um, it will hurt us coming out the gate. But I think that overall, like I think the team is going to outperform their Vegas odds. If I'm getting thirty and a half, I'm slamming the over. Same. Um, and I think your your point about Jaw is I I think that if you were to um, completely ignore conferences, I think Jaw yes, I think he's an all star. I think in the crowded West, it's going to be really really difficult um and i think it's it's good that this isn't a year where there is a game for that matter because i think that there would be um a lot of grizzlies fans that would be really disappointed were he not to make it i could see that still being the case coming up because i think he's going to play at that level but the fact that there's not a game and not an all-star weekend i think will be okay to digest for this year but then i think he's going to legitimately have He's going to be an all-star every year, I think, starting in his third year. Um, so I would just love to discuss like the top – who's better than him in the West point guard-wise. I would just love – we don't have to do it now, but I would love to have that discussion. All right, we got a minute left in this before we got to cut it off. Any final thoughts on the preseason moving forward? What are you looking for in 10 seconds or less in our next preseason game? What are you watching for? Tubbs, you got something? No. A shout out to Hulu for canceling Fox Sports South and not allowing me to watch for the first preseason game. Uh, to all you loyal Grizz listeners, if you're a Hulu streamer, you got to get like AT&T now. That's the only way to watch it. It's such a bummer. Um, sponsor. They're an official sponsor of this Grizz Den pod, not Hulu. I'm uh, I'm watching for uh, Grayson <laughs> Allen. He's been the one disappointment so far to me. He made uh, preseason three last night. No, I, I know, but he's still it. It took him. It took him a minute, uh, and I want to see him in the flow of the offense a little bit better. Um, but that's all I'm watching for, uh, guys. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Grizzden Pod. 
Um, check us out on social media. We're excited to get back in the swing of things as the NBA is coming back, boys. Let's go. We got some new t-shirt ideas, hopefully. One week from today. Grizzden.com. Go check it out. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. We'll talk to y'all next time. <laughs> Shake the dairy, yeah. These three words mean you're getting busy. Whoa, it is Hitman.